0: Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories.
1: Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964 into law. This groundbreaking act makes it illegal to discriminate against someone based on their race, religion, sex, national origin, or color of their skin. In other news, the Warren Commission has announced it will release its report on the assassination of President Kennedy as soon as possible.
0: It's about damn time.
1: Alvin? Honey, what are you doing sitting out here in the dark? I thought you were listening to the radio.
0: I turned it off.
1: Why? You love hearing all the news.
0: I've been thinking.
1: Thinking about what?
0: Cleveland. I've been ordering thoughts around in my head.
1: Why? Who was on the phone earlier?
0: A detective. He wants to pick my brain about an old case.
1: An old case? Which one?
0: There's only one case anybody would want to ask me about. Is he coming here? He said he'd drive out, but I don't think that's such a good idea. I'll go to him. You're going back to Cleveland? I don't think you should be driving so far anymore, Alvin. You're nearly 70.
1: Your eyes aren't as good as they used to be.
0: I'll take the bus. The department will spring for a hotel near police headquarters. A couple nights, maybe, and then I'll head back. We don't want him coming here. No, we don't. I can come with you. No, 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 no. You stay home, honey. Don't worry, I've got this. I've been expecting a call for 25 years. I'm just glad it came while I still have all my wits about me. If they found anything out, it would be a knock at our door, not a phone call. And I'd be in handcuffs and shackled in the back of a van.
1: Alvin, that's not the least bit funny, and you know it.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, dearest. There's a Greyhound leaving for Ohio in a couple hours. I could use your help packing if you're willing. Maybe some of those meatloaf sandwiches for the road?
1: Oh, I don't know if this is such a good idea.
0: Trust me, honey, nobody ever got the drop on Alvin Pike when he was on the job, and it's sure as hell not gonna happen now.
1: You Antonetti? What? Wait a sec. Oh, Jesus, it's hot in here. This is nothing.
2: Wait until the afternoon rolls around. As humid as the bowels of hell. Condensation drips down the walls like steaming yellow rain on a car windshield. Summer in Cleveland. What can I tell you? Could open the window. Nothing but hot air outside. Fan helps
1: if you sit in front of it. So does rock and roll if you play it loud enough. Ed Krause. Captain Fluger sent me to help you out. He said if you needed to follow up with witnesses or suspects in the field, you need a plainclothes partner. Yep, two by two. Cleveland PD protocol.
2: Detectives are just like animals bored Noah's Ark before the deluge. Two by fucking
1: two. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence.
2: And yet here we are. The earth is still filled with violence and flesh is still going strong.
1: Joe Antonetti, welcome to the basement sweatbox of the detective unit.
2: I think I've seen you around. You're the vice? For now,
1: yeah. I'm basically a floater with a gold shield. I worked over at downtown services unit until spring. I've never worked a cold case review, though. You're in for a treat. I'm lying, Ed.
2: On a good day, it's a fucking slog. But have a seat. Seriously, a case review like this is mostly sifting through files, reading old reports, interview transcripts... ...witness statements and mildewed notes and bad handwriting. Something new comes to light? It's a fucking miracle, but we gotta look. I'll tell you, though. Reporters over the plane dealer... ...give their left nut to take a peek at this stuff. Probably their right nut, too. Not well, because it's the Cleveland Butcher. It got that right. The Kingsbury Run murders. A.K.A. the Cleveland Torso murders. Our very own Jack the Ripper. Except old saucy Jack claimed only five lives in Mary London town. Our Ohio psycho slaughtered at least 13... Simply calling him the butcher works Because that's what
1: the bastard was A fucking butcher Mass murder's been on the rise all over the US Boston Strangler took his 13th victim At the beginning of this year True, but I think interest in the Cleveland
2: butcher's Still at a fever pitch Because just like the Ripper That bastard's never been caught Three decades Free as a bird At least for the crimes that we know about Anniversary of the butcher's inauspicious debut Is coming up this September And the lump of torso that came to be called Lady of the Lake Was found almost exactly 30 years ago
1: 34 that's when it all started you think he's still out there Uh, if he is
2: he's a hell of a lot older than when he started dismembering his victims like hunks of raw meat whether that makes him infirm by age i don't know the question is if he's not dead or locked up why did he stop killing or did he how far along have you gotten joe no farther than the tip of my dick i've skimmed most of the material but as of this morning i've switched gears i'm just doing a close read starting with the file box one As you can see, I'm plowing through the
1: summary overview, so right on time. You know much about the case? Everybody in Cleveland knows about the butcher. He's the local boogeyman. True, but our job is to separate fact from fiction. I thought our job is to catch the bastard who did it. First you walk, and then you run, Ed. If you've got a nutshell synopsis, I'm all ears. All right, then. You spring for a pie at the diner, I'll lay it all out for you.
2: I've got a meet-up at noon. In fact, I'd like you to be in on that. It's only 11. It gives us plenty of time. You want a recommendation, Ed? Peach cobbler here make you creamy shorts.
1: Hi, Detectives. What can I get you?
2: Just coffee for me. Coffee and a slice of your very fine peach cobbler, sweetheart.
1: Coming right up.
2: Butcher's reign of terror spanned almost exactly five years from September 1934 to August 1939.
1: Great Depression era. Hard times in Cleveland.
2: Hard times everywhere, son. I was just a snot-nosed little kid, but I remember my mother boiling old beef bones and calling the watery gruel stew. I remember what it was like. I was a kid then, too. And during that five-year period, the butchers believed to be responsible for the murder of 13 victims. Seven men and six women. And only two of the victims were ever positively identified a 42-year-old sometime prostitute named Flo Palillo and Edward Andrassi. Age 28, your basic criminal lowlife. All the victims were white, with the exception of Jane Doe 3, who was black. And all were decapitated. Most were further dismembered, literally cut up into pieces. In several cases, the head was never found. Sometimes the limb or two never came to light, which is probably why the murders were called the Cleveland Torso Murders back in the day, because the defining body part was the torso. Most of the victims' body parts were found in or near Kingsbury Run. And basically, the run was both the butcher's primary hunting and his disposal ground. Kingsbury Run reminds me of something out of King Arthur, Knights of the Round Table. Way too lofty-sounding name for a sprawling urban wasteland ravine. You know what I take it?
1: I do. I played on Jackass Hill as a boy. Kingsbury Run was named after some guy named James Kingsbury who lived in the area in the late 1700s. There's nothing regal about it. La-di-da, look at you. I fucking found the knowledge. I did a term paper report on Cleveland geography in high school. The facts stuck with me. Probably because we lived near there and because I got an A+. Here you go, boys. Thank you.
2: Why don't you regale me with the shit you retained from your high school days while I stuff my face with
1: peach cobbler and moan with orgasmic delight? Sure. Kingsbury Run is actually a prehistoric riverbed running along the east side of Cleveland. Stretching westward down to the Cuyahoga River, Kingsbury Run includes a natural watershed where creeks drain and a series of deep
2: canyons. And starting during the industrialization of the 1800s. Home to oil refineries, railroad tracks, and switching yards. Want to hear what I said in my
1: paper? You fucking memorized it? I've got good recall. I thought you were going to listen while you ate your dessert. <clears throat> From an aerial view, the run resembles a jagged topographical wound, which is in stark contrast to the nearby, gently undulating Cuyahoga River. This 100-mile-long, U-shaped and serpentine river that defines the city of Cleveland flows both north and south through northeast Ohio, eventually bisecting the blighted industrial area of the city before it empties into Lake Erie. The Native Americans called this river Cuyahoga, Crooked River.
2: Bravo, schoolboy. So was she. What? The skirt, your high school teacher. You asked me, you had a serious case of the hots for the lady. You work all night on your geography paper to impress her? Mrs. Saunders. Bingo. Gorgeous broad, I'm sure. The problem with geography as it relates to homicides, no matter how descriptive it is, is that it fails to take into account human beings. That's probably why you haven't worked a lot of
1: murder cases. Am I right? It's like failing to mention the swarm of ants when you describe the ant hill. There's nothing wrong with knowing the history and geography of the place where you live and work. Especially when you're a cop. There's nothing wrong with knowing anything. As long as you can sort
2: through it all and discard what's not important when you're investigating a homicide. What's significant about the run in my book is that the fucking aforementioned industrial urban wasteland was the breeding ground for what happened in the 30s. In my view, no Kingsbury run, no butcher. How do you mean? During the Great Depression, the run was a temporary stomping ground for more transients and hobos than you could count. Thousands of them squatted down there in their hastily constructed shanty towns, tacked together from cardboard and old tin. You're probably younger than me, but I'm sure you saw it just like I did back then.
1: Sure. They were passing through Cleveland while riding the rails in search of a
2: better life. More like hunkered down on a sidewalk holding their grimy paws out for spare change. You'd smell them before you got within ten feet. The butcher didn't so much have to hunt down its victims as sniff them out. That's... Callous and crude, I know. Especially for Cleveland in the enlightened 60s. But it's just us two dicks shooting the breeze in the local diner, Ed. Nobody's eavesdropping on us here. Reporters aren't following us around like they did 30 years ago, scribbling down every utterance we mutter about the butcher. But praise Jesus. And what do you know about Cleveland? Specifically, Cleveland in the 1930s. Butcher time. What should I know, Joe. You have a hard-on for a geographic setting, and I jerk off like a baboon in the monkey cage to the social one. Enlighten me, then. Glad to, teacher's pet. In the 1930s, Cleveland, Ohio, was the fifth largest urban area in the United States. I bet you didn't know that. We were no semi-rule Ohio backwater. Pretty racially diverse, too. A large black population, big immigrant population, too. Particularly Hungarians, Czechs, Slovaks, Polish, Irish, and Italians latter includes my folks. I'm first-generation American-born. My parents and grandparents came over on a slow boat from Naples. Cleveland was, and still is, a pure blue-collar city famous for its industrial skyline rather than a frou-frou art and culture shit. Since it was the height of the Great Depression, factories had closed. Warehouses stood empty, train tracks were allowed to rust. The mob, especially the Italian mafia, no relation I'm happy to say, had a stronghold on the bootleg liquor business. The capos had more corrupt cops in their pocket than spare change. Prostitution and illegal drugs flourished. And the all-vices-allowed district called the Roaring Third. And since you're with Vice, you should know it. Yeah, I do. In 1930s Cleveland, murders were as common as heart attacks. And so were suicides. Assaults were off the fucking charts. The transient population, which was one of the biggest in the country, consisted not only of those who'd lost everything in the Great Depression, but also countless shell-shocked veterans of the First World War. That's the world the Butcher inhabited. Don't lose sight of his very time-specific worldview, Ed. Where is tied to why? Which is ultimately tied to who? I hear you. I won't. Suspects? Literally hundreds. I don't have a full tally yet. Basically, suspects came from one of three groups. First included those who fell into suspicion solely based on their professions. You know, men who had enough anatomical knowledge to dismember a human being without hacking a corpse to shreds. This included butchers, doctors, male nurses, Veterinarians, hospital orderlies. Group two is one you'll appreciate since it has geography at its core. Denizens of the Roaring Third District, you know, unrepentant vice seekers, drunks, dope fiends. And this includes those homeless drifters who live in rough in Kingsbury Run or the Shaker Heights shanty towns who frequented the Roaring Third. And group three oddballs. My favorite of this collection is the Voodoo Doctor, who claimed he beheaded evil spirits. Or the elderly physician who believed he invented a death ray Who do you like
1: for it? I got a gut feeling about a few things. I'll let you know if my hunches pan out. Are we going to talk to the cops who worked the case? They'd be my first port of call. Our local claim to fame, the Fed turned cop, turned Hollywood legend Elliot Ness. As you probably
2: know, became Cleveland's public safety director about midpoint through the butcher's reign of terror. If that man craved anything besides beautiful brunettes, it was publicity. He's dead. There's a doornail. Died of a heart attack in 57. Barely 54 years old. Jesus, but... The actual lead investigator on the butcher case, the cop who pounded the pavement with his detective squad, was someone I knew personally. Pete Marlowe, Hell of a cop. But Pete's also dead. Died in 58. Rest in peace. Man, we should have been working this review a decade ago. Your lips to God's ears. See that guy who just came through the door? The old guy standing by the
1: register? In the seersucker suit with the straw hat?
2: That's our lunch date. Alvin Pike. I invited him. He rode a Greyhound bus all night from Iowa just to get here. To me, that means he's either desperate to talk about the old days and trade war stories like a drunk sitting at the end of the bar, or he's got something to hide. And he's here to see what we know. And what do we know? Pike worked the butcher case with Pete Marlowe.
1: He was a Cleveland cop?
2: Yeah, he was. Gold Shield detective, same as us.
1: He's looking around. Aren't you going to call him over? He's looking for a man on his own. I didn't tell him there'd be two of us. You'd think he can shed some new light on the Kingsbury Run
2: murders. You know, Ed, the way I see it, and this is contrary to public opinion, is that the facts of the Butcher case suggest that there's more than one killer. Maybe as many as five.
1: Five nutjobs running around Cleveland in the 30s, decapitating people in Kingsbury Run. One nutjob. The rest,
2: killers who took advantage of the Butcher's notoriety to frame their own crimes so theirs would be lumped with his
1: copycats more like opportunists Pike's making his way toward us he's pegged us as cops Pike over here I take it Alvin Pike shares your five killer theory
2: I don't know I didn't ask him when I called him on the telephone to request an interview I have Alvin Pike pegged as one of the butchers you what I'll be the showrunner you play the hard ass standard good cop bad cop despite his white hair I predict Alvin Pike's gonna be a wily bastard but he's old and slow and we're not capetian Yeah, but... Have a seat, Detective Pike. Have a fucking seat.
1: Crooked River is created by Dave Beasley and Cassie Wells. Starring... Zachary Ray Sherman Jeff Tendall Miles Sullivan Andrew Garrett Albie Selznick Stephanie Myers Levi Petri Joseph Covino Glenn Payne Nate Ward Taylor Jury Scorse Jessica Andres, Dave Huber, Gail Trudeau, Raphael Goldstein, and Alexandra Vaughn. Post production sound by Joe Morales and Elf Tree Studio. A Haywood production.
0: Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another
2: amazing story.